I'm Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together you and I can prepare to live outside the walls. Well, I hope that you are doing well today. Uh, I've got a little bit more resonance in my voice as I am uh, I'm fighting the crud. The weather's been just a little bit all over the place, and that has created a little bit of uh, allergy uh, apocalypse here in this house. So uh, I, I was telling Kristen the other morning, if I could just keep this resonance without the, the accompanying blah, <laughs> without the, the sore throat and the, the runny nose and everything else, man, I would be in hog heaven, right? Because this is, this is that quintessential radio voice. But uh, alas, alas, I'm sure that this will pass as the weather regulates and, uh, and my health returns. But you get to enjoy just a little bit more of uh, that radio ambiance as, um, as we play with all the joyful settings on the microphone because uh, you have to get some joy out of not feeling well, right? So today, <laughs> today that's going to be the sound uh, that that the radio microphone makes out of this uh, this frog in my throat. So <laughs> let's talk about uh, Lent. Here we are, uh, just about to approach the third Sunday in Lent, and uh, we talked last week a little bit about how Advent is that season where we recognize that all is not right with the world. And as we recognize that, then we also come to realize, ah, ah, but it can be. There there is hope for for things to be made right, right? That, That Christ will come and set things right. God will come and dwell with his people and will set things right. And so, looking around and saying all is not right with the world doesn't become a place of despair. Rather, it becomes a place of hope as we await the coming of Christ. Now, last week I said that Lent is a kind of a corollary to that, that Lent is that time where we take a look at ourselves and say, hey, the world is one thing, but uh, even myself, just looking at my life, all is not right with me. Now, if we just stay there, and we're just focusing on the things that are wrong in us, well, that's going to cause despair. It'll cause uh, scrupulosity, which is that thing of only looking at our own faults and thinking that we're doing everything wrong and overanalyzing our sin. And that's that's no good either, right? That leaves us in a hopeless place, and it leaves us uh, to despair. So we don't stop there. We say, hey, all is not right with me, and yet, just like an advent, and yet there's hope for that to change through the coming of Christ. And so, you know, we've been talking uh, earlier in previous episodes about how Lent causes us to, we, we pray and we fast and we participate in the works of mercy and almsgiving. Uh, and by, by praying, we open ourselves up to the voice of God and we recognize uh, all of the other things that generally vie for our attention. That's why we, that's why we fast. We fast things that, that, uh, that take our attention away from Christ. And we fast food to remind ourselves that we need to be fed with more than food. Our hunger, our appetites should be spiritual appetites first. Now, of course, Jesus didn't say, man shall not live by bread. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but on by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, of course, we're not saying don't eat at all. We're saying in this fast, we create in ourselves the opportunity to recognize our weakness. We recognize 
oh gosh, I really, I really want that thing that I gave up. I really want that. I, I depend on that more than I thought that I did. And insofar as I am depending on that, whether it be to, to help us relieve stress, whether it be uh, you know, just a, a normal behavior that becomes habitual, whatever that thing is that may not even be bad, right? Uh, food is not bad. And yet uh, an over-dependence on food is bad. And we recognize, oh, a little bit of hunger is not a bad thing for me. A little bit of hunger reminds me that I'm dependent on God. It really honestly makes that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, all that more important to us. When we realize that we eat because of actual hunger, you know, so often we don't even let ourselves get to hunger. We're so uh, instantaneous in this culture. We got snacks in the in the pantry. We have uh, convenience stores on every corner that we can stop in and we can sate that hunger before it even gets somewhere. So we don't really even hunger. We, we crave, right? I crave that Dr. Pepper, which I've been doing uh, pretty well with even before Lent. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't hunger. I'm not really hungry for food. I crave. I want carbs. I want something. And so now we're eating because of our desires and our appetites and not because of our needs, right? So this is what we do with prayer. Prayer reminds us to be attentive to the voice of God throughout the day. Hunger through fasting reminds us that every time that we get that hunger, every time we get that craving or whatever it is that we've given up, it reminds us to turn our attention again to God. And then almsgiving uh, reminds us to depend on God. It reminds us that, uh, that we are not self-sufficient and that, that the, the things that we have are blessings from God. And so uh, in our house this, this Lenten season, we've been uh, decluttering. You know, there's that whole thing of touch everything in your house and ask, does this bring me joy? And if it doesn't, throw it away. We haven't gone quite that extreme, although that is a question we ask. Why do we still have this? Why do we have this thing? Uh, there's a quote from St. Basil that says, the extra coat in your closet was stolen from the poor man shivering in the cold. Uh, now, that seems extreme to our ears today, and yet the question remained for us as we look at the abundance in our house, uh, and we say, do I need that coat? Yeah, yeah, that, that coat there, that's for playing outside, and that coat there, that's for something else, and that coat there. Well, you know what? I understand that there are different coats for different occasions, and you can't go out and play in the snow in your nice dress coat. And yet, do you need four coats? Uh, we had that many for some of us and for some of our kids, and we decided that, no, we we don't need that many. We 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 don't need, uh, you know, we've got the closet full of clothes, and we're looking at them and saying, well, I, you know, I wear that you know once a year. You know what? We don't need it that bad. And someone out there does. And so for us, we have been uh, really kind of just cleaning out the house of every little extra thing because freely it was given to us and so freely we give. Uh, and so that's one of the things in my life, even before I got married and something I brought up in our dating years is that I really felt for me, for, for my life, and this doesn't mean you have to do this at all, but for my life, we never sell something when we're done with it. I mean, there are obvious exceptions. I'm going to sell my house when I'm done with it, right? Uh, I'll sell, I'll trade in a car when I'm done with it most of the time. You know, there's, there comes a point where I'm not going to get enough out of that car. I might as well 
give it to someone who it would benefit. And I've done that a few times. Uh, but there are some things like that that we obviously we're going to to get some benefit out of it as we proceed onward. But there are other things that, you know, we get, we're done with a piece of furniture. I don't need the little bit of money that it's going to take. And part of that's I don't want the hassle of putting it up and dealing with selling. But the other part is really there are people who need that. And, uh, and if I can bless them in that way, as I have been blessed so many times in that way, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? Uh, so for clothes, for, uh, for whatever the, for furniture, for kids, toys, for stuffed animals, because there are so many stuffed animals. Oh my gosh. There are so many stuffed animals in this house because we have our seventh child on the way and, and they just, they multiply every birthday. You get like 12 stuffed animals and we have a lot of birthdays. So, uh, how, how many of these do the kids really play with? How many are they really emotionally attached to? I think back to like little house on the prairie and she got a, a handmade doll and cherished that one thing. And it's like my kids, the toy room is full. And so part of Lent as we've gone through and we've said, what do we not need? Not, not just one, but what do we not? I mean, if we don't need it, let's, let's shed it. Let's get rid of it. Let's get it out of the house. Because there are plenty of people, specifically, we we specifically gave to Catholic charities, to refugee services, to people who have fled their homes and left their country and come to a place that they are not at all familiar with and have nothing. They have basically the clothes on their backs and a little bit extra. Uh, we have some, I think, Congolese uh, refugees here in the Lexington area. And the, the person at Catholic Charities told us, you know, they've been here for a year in, in Kentucky and they still don't have winter coats, uh, some of these. Uh, and so for us, it's like, well, here, <laughs> I've got sizes from basically infant up to my oldest is uh, nine now. So whichever one he just grew out of, uh, because one, God's going to provide for all our needs, but two... Uh, someone else really has this need. And so for us, for us as a family, if we can be a part of answering that prayer, give us this day our daily bread for someone else, if we can be emissaries of Jesus Christ in some way, in that way, then why wouldn't we do that? So for us, that's what this Lent has been about. It's to recognize that all is not right with me, right? But it can be. And part of that, part of that is by giving. Part of that is by losing my dependence on things. And in the same way as I am being purified by God as I let go of these things, God is also answering the prayers of someone else who's just praying, give us this day our daily bread. Lent is a time for looking at ourselves and realizing that there are things that need to change. Some of those things are small, like appetites. Some of those things are habitual sin. We're going to talk about that when we come back. We're talking with Marcel Lejeune. He's an author and a speaker. We're going to talk about using Lent to overcome those habitual sins, those things that we keep confessing, going back over and over again. Well, why don't you join us on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to hear what you're doing this Lent. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. So glad that you have stuck through the break. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Marcel Lejeune. He's the former associate director of campus ministry for St. Mary's Catholic Center in College Station, Texas. Now, one of the cardinal rules in radio is that you you do everything you can to connect with all of your audience, and you, you don't do anything that will alienate any portion of your audience. Uh, but today, I'm going to break that a little bit. Mo- most of my audience is on the 12 stations throughout Oklahoma on the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network, but I, I have to start out today saying, Marcel, gig em. Gig em. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so we we love our Oklahoma friends though, right? Right. So <laughs> they they, st- they stole my pastor and made him bishop in Oklahoma. So Indeed. I have to love my Oklahoma friends. Have you been up to visit yet? That's the big question. Uh, we went up for the ordination. Okay. I am actually going to probably be there at the end of the month. All right. Now, are you going as as a speaking engagement? Yes. And we details aren't finalized, so I can't tell you what it might be. Okay. So what that means is those of you in Oklahoma, uh, you're going to love this interview. You're going to want to go and see him. So keep uh, your eyes on MarcelLejeune.com. That's M-A-R-C-E-L-L-E-J-E-U-N-E.com. He'll put a schedule up there. And so you can find out where he's going to be and go and visit him when he comes to visit you. Fun how that works. So you, we're going to talk today about a couple of things. We're in the middle of the season of Lent, and this is a time where we examine our own weaknesses, we, uh, we purify ourselves, we begin to sanctify ourselves through the practices of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving for the end of participating, participating more fully in the divine life uh, as we come to Easter. Um, but you've written a book specifically uh, mm-hmm. on, on one aspect of basically of habitual sin, of getting free of those habitual sins, those things that we go to the confessional over and over and over again. It's like, Father, Mm -hmm. you're going to know it's me just because of what I'm about to say. Uh, And so this is the point at which I I do want to say, if you have young ears around and you don't want them to be introduced to topics of habitual sin uh, over the radio, now is a a great time to shuffle them out of the room. Uh, So... Talk about, just for a moment, as they do that, Marcel, talk mm-hmm. just a little bit about that second book uh, that you've written and the, the what it, just a, a general synopsis of it, and then we'll get to the first one. Yeah, so the first book that I wrote was on theology of the body, um, but that second book that I wrote is is on the topic of uh, overcoming uh, the problem of lust and pornography that a lot of a lot of men and women struggle with. It's not just a man's problem. Mm-hmm. Um it's one of those topics that a lot of Catholics get really awkward. You know, I don't. I, oh my gosh, you know, let's let, let's freak out a little bit. He's talking about things we don't talk about in the church, and and that's true. You know, it's but it's something I think we've swept under the rug. We don't talk about enough. We don't we don't make it something that um, is normal for Catholics to talk about, and that's a shame because mm-hmm. we need to be talking about things that are difficult because we can help one another. It's not something that most people can overcome by themselves. So it is something that we need to talk about, we need to be praying about, we need to be helping one another, ministering to one another, uh, walking with one another, because what happens is that it, it isolates people. It, it puts you by yourself. It's a private issue for most people, but it really has public consequences for the rest of your family, for your friends, for the world, the church, and and we need to be helping people. So that's why I wrote it, because uh, I'll be honest, Timothy, you, you know that I never wanted to grow up to be an expert in pornography. Um, 
that is never a life goal, right? Right. <laughs> you know, you're not you're not 15 and you're thinking, huh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Well, that's not it. Right. <laughs> that is not it. So it it's a topic though that needs to be in the light. Really mm-hmm. is what it needs to do. We need to bring it into the light. We need to be talking about it. We need to be uh, really making it known that there there is freedom on the other side of it. Right, and I think this illustrates very clearly the nature of sin in general, because sin is not just against God; it's also against our community. It isolates us from the community, and and this issue of sexual sin, specifically with pornography, is one that that illustrates that more clearly because it it's so secret. We don't. We don't bring it up. We don't talk about how to overcome it. We, everyone thinks that they're the only ones uh, that deal with this. And so because it doesn't come to light, it festers, right? And it, yeah. creates, uh, it, it creates distance between you and your family, between you and the, the rest of the Christian community, as well mm-hmm. as really, as, we've, as it's been studied, um, it creates addiction in the same pathways that it would create addiction if it were drugs, right? There's a certain rewiring of the brain that goes on neurologically. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, we think, oh, well, this is just something I need to overcome um, and I'll do it by force of will. And yet that's not how addiction works. No, no, absolutely not. So, so to, to build on what you were saying about it, it is a brain disease is mm-hmm. what happens. And, and and the chemicals that are released into the pleasure center of the brain are really identical to what cocaine and heroin do to the brain, right. except that it's the real stuff that cocaine and heroin are made to mimic. Mm-hmm. And the access to the drug doesn't have to be introduced. It's actually naturally formed by the brain itself and then injected right into that pleasure center, which makes kind of a neural superhighway of chemicals that rewire the brain, like you said. And and what happens is that your brain wants more and more and more and more. So you need a bigger high, a bigger high, a bigger high. And this is why it becomes so addictive. In fact, it's uh, generally called the most addictive uh, substance in the world, in a sense, because it's already in you. It's right. created by you. You can't just get away from it. So this is why it isolates as well, because there's also on the other, you know, from the moral aspect of it and the personalistic aspect of it. It's a shameful thing that happens. Right. And what ha- you know, we're, we're taught it's bad. We're taught don't do this. And so there's a lot of shame that builds in us, especially if you're a Christian. If you're a Catholic who's who's looking at pornography, uh, I mean, what happens is a lot of times this shame builds in. Oh, my gosh, I'm a terrible person. That's a lie. So what the devil likes to do is he likes to use this. So it, it's both an interior and exterior uh, problem. Interiorly, it comes from a natural desire, a natural desire that we're sexual beings. We're made— Men to be with women, women to be with men. We're made to be that way, to be attracted to other people. We're not supposed to be in isolation. And part of that is through the marital covenant and this relationship that is expressed sexually. That's a good thing. But we're told a lot of times, you know what, there's bad attached to it, too, if you do it outside of that covenant, outside of this relationship. Now, this is where shame enters in. And what happens is it isolates. And so this interior desire is then twisted. And then the devil plays on that exteriorly. So what he does is he'll, he'll say things like, okay, before a problem, he'll say, hey, this is no big deal. Come on. Everybody's doing right. this. This is, this is going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to be the solution to your problem right now. It's going to overcome. All, those are all lies, um, it, except for it's going to feel good. Yeah, it feels good. 
but it's not going to be lasting. It's not going to bring you happiness. It's not going to bring you health. It's not going to help you out. And so that's one issue. And then after the act, after you look at it and then you feel that shame kind of rise up, what he does is he, he twists it back another way. Oh, you're no good. Right. You're a bad person. I can't believe you do this. You're not even lovable. God doesn't love you. That's why you don't like yourself. And so that's all lies too. God, of course he loves you. And you're not defined by this sin, by this problem, by this issue. And on the other hand, what he wants to do is he wants to get you before and after, but he wants to lead you to a place of death and despair and shame. Those are all places. God wants to have mercy and healing and forgiveness. And that's what he wants. He wants to love right where you're at. It's really interesting because throughout Scripture, we, we see these things of stand firm in temptation, right? Uh, yeah. And having done all to stand, stand firm, except in the, in the issue of, uh, of sexual sin. And that's the mm-hmm. point in Scripture where it says, flee sexual immorality. Yeah. Uh, and so even in Scripture, there's this idea that there's something different about this kind of temptation. So let's talk about uh, someone who has uh, begun and now has found themselves trapped in, in this life of, of yeah. habitual sin. What are, really quickly, some practical tools that a person can access that will, obviously your book is one, mm-hmm. uh, Cleansed, and they can get that on your website, marcellejeune.com. Uh, but what are some other practical tools that they can, can begin to encounter that will help them uh, throw off this habitual sin? Yeah. First things first, you know, if it is an addiction, uh, we recommend counseling. Um, and the reason why is because if it's truly an addiction, then there's no way you're going to be able to beat it by yourself. And it is a mental health issue. And so once it enters into mental health issues, I, I would recommend counseling. And, and if this is something that, you know, if you're in a marriage and uh, you're in this relationship, I would recommend counseling for most people as well. Because what happens is there's woundedness both on Right. Uh, the side of the person who's using the, the pornography, the side of the person who isn't, if they're not using it, and the relationship itself, all those need healing. Mm-hmm. So now I would say that there's a, there are some, some strategies and there are some ways of dealing with this. Um, and the first set of things I would call coping mechanisms. And what I, the reason why I call that is they're the immediate things you need to do to deal with what's going on right now. Right. And those are very practical, uh, very simple things. Get rid of it all. Get rid of your access to it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the first way, the primary way modern people access pornography now is through their cell phone. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a problem with your cell phone and you can't stop, you either need to block it and filter it. And if that still doesn't stop you, then you need to get rid of data on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it really the question is, I mean, Jesus asked us. Better to have your eye plucked out than to enter into Gehenna, right? So, you know, would you rather enter into Gehenna or have your eye plucked out? Well, I think all of us need our eyes plucked out. And if that means taking that phone and plucking the eye of your phone out by getting rid of data, you don't need that. That's a luxury. Everybody knows it. And yes, you might might have a problem being addicted to your phone, but that's a simple way. Uh, Making sure you're thinking about the situations when you're tempted and really the occasion of sin. So, so when I stop and think about it, you know, I've been working with guys for 15 years in campus ministry. And so you got to think about, am I bored? Am I tired? Am I stressed? And then start to work through that stuff, you know, and, and really examine those kind of things. We're talking today with Marcel Lejeune, author of the book, Cleansed, A Catholic Guide to Freedom from Porn. Uh, for more information, go over to his website, marcellejeune.com. That's L-E-J-E-U-N-E. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle is at outside the walls. 
We're going to continue this conversation about freedom from habitual sin right after this. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I am your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today in this season of Lent about overcoming habitual sin. Now, today's topic is a little sensitive, so if you have sensitive ears in the room, little children, I encourage you to go ahead and shuffle them out of the room. There's a place in Scripture where it says, Therefore, let us cast off the sin that so easily entangles us and uh, fix our eyes on Jesus and, and press on right for the goal. Uh, the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. I think that's, that's a general approximation of what Paul says there. Uh, we're talking today about casting off those habitual sins, that sin that so easily entangles us. And we're talking with Marcel Lejeune. He's a Catholic author and speaker. Uh, you can find out more information about uh, his writings and how to book him over at marcellejeune.com. That's L-E-J-E-U-N-E.com. Marcel, thank you again for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, you know, right can I go back to that part, that part we were just talking about? Yeah, you were talking about how to recognize those places where we're uh, where we're tempted, where we're in the midst of of sin, and go ahead. Yeah, so one of the things that happens with a lot of folks is is they they react. Mm -hmm. Is the best way to think about it is they they're reacting to what's going on interiorly in their heart and in, in in their relationships, and and so if somebody's lonely. A lot of times they'll act out in sin. A lot of, if they're bored, um, if they're stressed out, if if they've got something going on interiorly and it's not good, it's not necessarily healthy. So what do they do? They act out, especially sexually. Sometimes you know with these sexual habitual sins. So what I would say is you need to start to identify interiorly what's going on, and and the best way to do that is prayer. Mm -hmm. uh, you got to be praying. And, and folks, I know that prayer is a struggle. It's a battle. In fact, the catechism even talks about that. The great saints talked about prayer as a battle. It is. It's tough. I mean, there's times you're going to sit down and you're not going to want to pray or you sit down and you try to pray and you're distracted. Your mind's everywhere else. Well, that's like that's life. I mean, that's a relationship with anybody. Right. And prayer is a relationship with our Lord. So so here what you want to do is make sure that in that battle of prayer, that you're really examining what's going on in my in my life right now, and do that on a daily basis with that daily examine or whatever you you know method you want to use. But think about where am I at right now in my walk with God, and, and and what's going on interiorly, and how can I turn this back over to Him rather than to deal with it in a way that's unhealthy for me, which is to go and sin. Right. I heard someone mention that as the halt principle, that you yeah. never make a, an important decision when you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So Absolutely. halt in the name of love, as it were, you know. Uh, it, so here we go. We're recognizing, hey, I'm, I'm overly exhausted right now. Uh, so now one of the ways that you overcome addiction, and this is certainly not by any means by itself, but one of the ways you overcome addiction or habitual sin is not simply to say, oh, I'm not going to do that anymore, but rather yeah. to say, in these situations, this is the new action that I'm going to pursue. Right? Yes. And, 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 and then it's not just a force of will either. This mm -hmm. is because, especially when it comes to addiction, there's two things that have to happen for most people to overcome true addiction. One is you got to turn it over to God. Mm -hmm. who is the one who has the power to overcome all things because we can do all things in Christ, right? Right. It does, the scripture doesn't tell us we can do all things by ourselves because we just will it. That's not true. 
Now, are there some people who can cold turkey just say, I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to stop smoking cigarettes or I'm going to stop looking at pornography? Yeah. And, and there are some of those, but they're the rarity. The, the norm of, of overcoming addiction is you got to turn it over to God. And then secondarily, you're going to have to walk with other folks. You're going to have to lean on them, too, and their strength. So that's why community is so important, because part of the problem with the sexual sins is that in the depth of what's really going on is there's an issue with accepting and receiving and then giving back love. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that people need to learn what is the proper, in a sense, way of living out my relationship with other people with God. And that means a turning over our hearts to our Lord, but also a turning over our hearts to other people, especially our family, right? So in, in marriage, for instance, that marriage is wounded by somebody's sexual sins. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at images that are inappropriate, that's cheating on your spouse. I mean, right. if, we, if we define it, especially according to Matthew chapter 5, how Jesus is interpreting the Ten Commandments, we understand this is, this is cheating on your spouse. It's adultery. So what does that mean for us? That means that marriage needs healing. That marriage and bringing a third party in, a counselor or you know a good priest or somebody else who can walk through with that couple is really a, an integral part of helping overcome that stuff. Now, with that being said, um, I think also having good friendships is is also important. Good Christian, good Catholic friendships who can help you to walk with these things. Uh, I know that most of the the young men, and I've worked mostly with young men. I've also worked with some uh, women. Uh, but most of the young men who've really found freedom from these issues have found it because they made really good friends who walked with one another. And it wasn't based on this problem. It was based on we love each other. We want to walk with each other. We get to know each other. Right. Right. Well, and, you know, the catechism, uh, there was this statement some time ago by a Supreme Court justice of, uh, well, I, I I don't know what pornography is, but I'll I'll know it when I see it. Know it when I see right? it, yeah. <laughs> Which uh, I don't think that came out the way he meant for it to. But the catechism uh, is pretty clear in its definition of pornography. So let's just look at that real quickly mm -hmm. so that everyone here knows what we're talking about. So in the catechism in 2354, it says, Pornography consists in removing real or simulated sexual acts from the intimacy of the partners in order to display them deliberately to third parties. It offends against chastity because it perverts the conjugal act, the intimate giving of spouses to each other. It does grave injury to the dignity of its participants, actors, vendors, the public, since each one becomes an object of base pleasure and illicit profit for others. It immerses all who are involved in the illusion of a fantasy world. It's a grave offense. Civil authorities should prevent the production and distribution of pornographic materials. And so it really is, even though it's not often seen that way, it's introducing a third person into the marriage covenant that's between two people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the other thing is, it, not only that, and, and so it is cheating, in a, and it, it also is is something that's supposed to be intimate between spouses mm -hmm. and, and something that's supposed to be a loving act, something that actually can be an imaging of God. Uh, if we go into the theology of the body, which we don't have time to really get deep into, but it's, it's really a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful gift. And what we're doing is we're taking it and we're twisting it outside of the beauty that it's supposed to have, the intimacy that it's supposed to have. And we're in a sense making it a public thing for, for going to base desires rather than to be a self gift. And so what we've done is we've made it from from really good, beautiful, and awesome into really it's a twisting into this isn't what its intended purpose is supposed to be. And that's why it's wrong. It's not because, oh, you know, we're going to finger wag and call everybody out. It's because it's just it's not 
it's not so evil in that, oh, well, it's just lewd and, and, and crass. And mm-hmm. uh, it's because it takes something beautiful and it makes it not beautiful. Right. And it's, that's a shame. It's not because the body is bad. It's because the yeah. context is. In fact, uh, I think it's St. Pope John Paul II who is credited with saying, uh, the problem with pornography is not that it shows too much of the person, but rather yeah, it that it shows too, too little, because mm-hmm. all we see is the objective uh, body and not the subject of the person. Yeah, absolutely. And and so what happens is, it, it, and you think about it this way, and I know this is this might even be uh, an analogy that some people might not like, but I put it this way in my book. Um, and, and the reason why I do this is to, to kind of to shock parents into the fact, the reality of what they do when they give their kids a phone or a TV in their room or something like that. And I say this, if two people were to come to your door and they were to knock on your door, a couple, and, and, and they were adults and they said, hey, we're here to see your kid. Would you let them into your house to be able to go up to your kid's room to strip down nude and to perform acts on their bed so that your kid could watch? Right. And you'd say, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? I, I'd get a stick and chase them out of my house. Well, yeah, but it's basically the same thing you're doing and more with whatever kind of craziness, you know, you could find on the Internet when you give your kid a phone with data and they're 12 or 13 or 14 years old and you don't block it. You don't have, you know, restrictions to it. And the same thing with a TV in their room or a computer in their room without these kind of restrictions. Parents need to be vigilant in this stuff. A lot of parents don't really... They think, oh, my kid's a great kid. They're never going to yeah. do this. But let's talk about, and you brought this up in a recent talk. What's the average age of average, first contact? Yeah, first contact or first exposure on the internet to pornography, is average age now is nine years old. Hmm. Nine years old. So, I mean, the average nine-year-old is probably in third grade. Right. Um, you know, right now. That's shameful. But that's the reality. And the reason why is because most of them doing a homework project for school or looking something up on the Internet and they accidentally run across it. And the purveyors of pornography know that your kid is going to go search for Dora the Explorer or something like that. And so they'll just take a a mistyping of Dora the Explorer and it'll pop up. Um, Recently, I'll just give you a quick story. My my daughter, who's 12 years old, was doing a report on the first African-American doctor in the United States. Um, and so she was Googling, which we have filters, you know, which right. are very strict. She was Googling an image to use so that she could put it on her paper. And the image that popped up, um, there was nothing wrong with it. It was the front of a book cover about this woman, right? Mm-hmm. But it was on a triple X website so that if you clicked on the link and got on their website, that image might be there, but there are going to be all kinds of pornographic images around it. The reason right. why is because they know kids are assigned the project on this woman, would look for this particular book cover for this or an image of her, and then draw them into their website so they can get them. Now, my home, it was all blocked, so she couldn't see anything else besides that book cover on the search. Right. But it came up in a report. I went and found out what happened. I mean, they're what they're doing is they're fishing to try to crack, trap children, get them addicted, and then get them for life. That's really what it is. So it's, it's evil. Is let's what talk is. real quickly about filters. What filters do you use and do you recommend? Yeah, the first one I recommend, and this is if you know how to use it well, is and the best one for me is called OpenDNS. This is a free website filter. Um, you can go and uh, customize exactly what you want to filter out, how, how strict you want it. Um, you have to know a little bit of how to play with the settings, but yeah. Uh, open DNS, it's free, and it also filters at the router. So filters everything, not just the computer. Great. 
We're talking with Marcel Lejeune, author and speaker. Find out more information about him over at marcellejeune.com, L-E-J-E-U-N-E. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking about some sensitive topics today. So I encourage you, if you've got young children around and you're not ready for them to be exposed to that, go ahead and shuffle them out of the room. Uh, We're talking about how to overcome habitual sin and specifically one kind of habitual sin. And now that the children are out of the room, uh, we're also talking about uh, how to protect our families from that habitual sin of pornography, that addiction that can be created there. Uh, The average age of first exposure to pornography today is nine years old. Uh, And so we we like to think that it won't happen to us, that that we're careful enough, but really we have an obligation as much as possible to to prepare to protect our children. So I want to give you a couple of resources. The first is a at CovenantEyes.com. Uh, we'll put a link to this on our social media. Covenant Eyes is a, uh, a filter, but uh, it does cost money. As we Marcel was saying just before the break, there is uh, the open DNS, which does not cost money uh, if you can configure it correctly. And we'll see if we can't get a tutorial put together, uh, hopefully in the near future. But um, Covenant Eyes, in addition to being that, that uh, filtering, with a subscription, they also have a number of eBooks, and these books uh, are extremely helpful, both in understanding the scope of the problem and uh, in giving hope if you or someone you love is currently dealing with this. So, CovenantEyes.com forward slash e hyphen books. CovenantEyes.com slash e hyphen books. I encourage you to go take a look there. Also, uh, for specifically dealing with children, there's a book out there called uh, Good Pictures bad pictures. It's written by uh, Kristen Jensen and Gail Pointer, and it's a comfortable read-aloud story about a mom and a dad who teach their children what pornography is, why it's dangerous, and how to reject it. You can get it on Amazon. We'll put a link to that also on our social media. And for those people who you're, you're, or you or someone you love is dealing with this and does not know how to get out of it. First of all, we've got those things that were talked about earlier about finding a good counselor, specifically a good Christian counselor, a good Catholic counselor if possible. Uh, But there are also a couple of things online, some resources that I want to send you to. The first is ReclaimSexualHealth.com, which is a program that helps you rewire the brain uh, properly to overcome the addiction. The second one is similar, and it's called IntegrityRestored.com, IntegrityRestored.com. So go take a look at those resources and realize that you are not alone and the situation is not hopeless. There are things out there that will help you. Another thing that will help is frequent confession. It's not just a sacrament of absolution, but it gives us strength for the journey. And it's important to know that this is something that we can be forgiven for. In fact, our reading today out of Scripture is going to highlight that. This reading comes from the book of the prophet Micah. And he says, Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance that dwells apart in a woodland in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. As in the days when you came from the land of Egypt, show us wonderful signs. 
Who is there like you, the God who removes guilt and pardons sin for the remnant of his inheritance, who does not persist in anger forever, but delights rather in clemency, and will have again compassion on us, treading underfoot our guilt? You will cast into the depths of the seas all our sins. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and grace to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. That reading from Micah reminds us a couple of things. One, that that God, that Christ is a shepherd. A shepherd is someone who is with the sheep. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance. That means that he is with us, guiding us. That's the whole point of the staff, right? And so he, he hasn't left us alone. We are not abandoned even in the midst of our sin. He's come to us. He's through Christ rescued us, given us food, the food not of pasture, but of himself. He gives us his body and blood and soul and divinity in the Eucharist. He gives us absolution through confession. He will not persist in anger, and he will draw us to himself, guiding us with his staff and giving us all that we need. And that's part of what we do during Lent as we as we fast, as we pray, as we participate in almsgiving, is that we say, I'm going to be shepherded by God. I'm going to be guided through this life, not by my own desires or emotions or whims or addictions, but by God. And uh, our reading today out of church history uh, it comes from Flight from the World. I think we've done this before, uh, but it's just such a beautiful reading. It's out of the breviary. And this is from St. Ambrose. And he says this, where a man's heart is, there is his treasure also. God is not accustomed to refusing a good gift to those who ask for one, since he is good, and especially to those who are faithful to him. Let us hold fast to him with all our soul, our heart, our strength, and so enjoy his light and see his glory and possess the grace of supernatural joy. Let us reach out with our hearts to possess that good. Let us exist in it and live in it. Let us hold fast to it, that good which is beyond all we can know or see and is marked by perpetual peace and tranquility, a peace which is beyond all we can know or understand. This is the good that permeates creation. In it we all live, on it we all depend. It is nothing above it. It is divine. No one is good but God alone. What is good is therefore divine. What is divine is therefore good. Scripture says, when you open your hand, all things will be filled with goodness. It is through God's goodness that all that is truly good is given us, and there in it there is no admixture of evil. These good things are promised by Scripture to those who are faithful. The good things of the land will be your food. We have died with Christ. We carry about in our bodies the sign of his death so that the living Christ may also be revealed in us. The life we live is not now our ordinary life, but the life of Christ, a life of sinlessness, of chastity, of simplicity, and every other virtue. We have risen with Christ. Let us then live in Christ. Let us ascend in Christ, so that the serpent may not have the power here below to wound us in the heel. Let us take refuge from this world, You can do this in spirit, even if you are kept here in the body. You can at the same time be here and present to the Lord. 
Your soul must hold fast to him. You must follow after him in your thoughts. You must tread his ways by faith, not an outward show. You must take refuge in him. He is your refuge and your strength. David addresses him in these words, I fled to you for refuge, and I was not disappointed. Since God is our refuge, God who is in heaven and above the heavens, we must take refuge from the world in that place where there is peace, where there is rest from toil, where we can celebrate the great Sabbath. As Moses said, the Sabbaths of the land will provide you with food. To rest in the Lord and to see his joy is like a banquet and full of gladness and tranquility. Let us take refuge like deer beside the fountain of waters. Let our soul thirst as David thirsted for the fountain. What is that fountain? Listen to David. With you is the fountain of life. Let my soul say to this fountain, When shall I come and see you face to face? For the fountain is God himself. That reading again comes from St. Ambrose, and it's a treatise on the flight from the world. And here is what we do during Lent. We take our own little monastic flight from the world. We, we recognize that the things that we crave in this world, while, while they may be good, they're not the best thing, right? While they provide for us, they, they're a temporary provision and not an eternal one. And so we turn our attention away from those things that we crave, whether those things be good or whether they be bad and habitual. We turn our attention away from the things that normally catch us up, uh, and we fix our eyes on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12. We fix our attention on Christ. We let go of the things that weigh us down and the sin that so easily entangles us. You can't just will yourself to stop sinning. You have to replace that addiction, replace that sin, replace that habit with something else. And so we replace it with the sacramental graces, with confession, with communion, with prayer, with fasting, with almsgiving. We do this in that season of Lent to let go of these habits that send us back so often uh, into turmoil, into sin, into, uh, into the lack of control, the lack of self-control, that fruit of the Spirit. We take this time of Lent to fly away from those things of the world and turn our attention to Christ to take refuge from the world, from the things that vie for our attention. And Ambrose says we can do this in the Spirit even though we're here in the body. We can be present right here where we are in our daily life and yet our soul can take refuge in Christ. I encourage you this Lent to do that. Whether your sin is the sin of pornography, where we have all those resources for you today, or whether your sin is something else, whether it be pride, whether it be gossip, whatever that thing is, that habitual sin that you find yourself back in the confessional for, make this Lent a time where you cling to Christ and fly from the world. That's all the time we have for this week. If you want to share this show or you want to listen to it again, remember all our archives are over at OutsideTheWalls.com. If you have subscribed to the podcast in the past, we've moved that for the sake of getting a, a better uh, organizational system of being able to search through our guests. Uh, you can get to that still over at OutsideTheWalls.com, but it's a different link over on iTunes. Make sure that you move that subscription over uh, and leave us a review while you're at it. 
Outside the Walls is made possible by the generous contributions of our friends of the show that can be heard around the world on live streaming, terrestrial radio, and podcast. To become a friend of the show or find showtimes, go to OutsideTheWalls.com. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.